are not well-mannered. I wound up watching him fairly recently because I have a, uh, a dog straight from hell. <laughs> My little puppy has not learned to control herself at all, and we've tried about every trick in the book, so I'm reduced to watching YouTube clips by Mr. Caesar. And I was watching one clip where uh, this lady had this rather large dog, I mean, 250-pound dog, and uh, Caesar said, what's the dog's problem? And she goes, well, she likes to jump up on everybody and slam them in the face with her nose and gives everybody a bloody nose. And I call it the kiss of death. And, he, and Caesar said, well, let me watch. And so he had a, a guy off to the side and the dog, and sure enough, 250-pound punch in the face. Uh, didn't bloody that guy's nose. And, uh, and the gal is trying to get the dog off of the, the poor man, you know, and... Uh, Caesar looked at her, and uh, she said, well, bring the, he said, bring the dog over here. So he brings it over to her. And he, he said something very interesting to me. He said, you're using the wrong tool. And he put a, a braided uh, polyester rope around the dog's neck, put it up rather high, and then cinched it to where it was comfortable, just very comfortable on the dog. And he would then was able to do wonderful things on a dog instantly. And he said, you just have to use the right tool, you know? And I thought, boy, that is, that's just a stroke of genius. Uh, I'm not sure it works better on humans or dogs, but I, my dog's training me quite well, uh, quite frankly, lately. It's, it's working real well. She's less the dog from hell, and she's moved her way up to purgatory now. And maybe, she, maybe by the time she's 50 years old, she'll be a fine dog. <laughs> In the meantime, she just gets a little ahead of herself, kind of like we do sometimes. Get a bit ahead of ourselves. You know, the law was like a choke chain. You know, the old choke chains that were made of steel, and they were braided metal, and they were vicious-looking things. They were terrible-looking things. The law was like a choke chain that never let up. It never loosened. And so the, we're like the people, like a dog on a choke chain, <laughs> I don't know what to do to please you. Nothing I seem to do pleases you. I'm, I'm dying. Well, I'm dying. That's the letter of the law kills. That's what Scripture says. The letter of the law kills. So it was a choke chain that killed us. It, didn't, it never slackened. It's, it, it was, its standard is perfection, and none of us ever met it. So we were constantly at the end of the choke chain. I'm fascinated by the theme of this morning's praise and worship, and I don't even think pups thought through a theme, but every song was about freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the choke chain. Freedom from the law. Free in Christ. We're free to dance. We're free to run. We're free to worship. We're with our hands raised or not raised. Or we're free. We've been. It's it's like. God's now using a much softer leash on us to gently lead us and guide us, and that's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, you'll feel that little tug. It's, it's not like the choke chain, but it's a prick of conscience that reminds us, whoop, think about that. Don't go there. Don't let that come out of your mouth. You shouldn't be watching that on TV. No, you can't go to that movie. Be careful where you look with your eyes. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the right instrument. It's not the choke chain anymore. It's what God is using. It says that His loving kindness leads us to repentance. In the book of Galatians, we're dealing with young pups. 
in the faith, if you will. It's the very earliest of all of the Pauline epistles. The first two chapters he has had to spend defending himself. You could call it the apologetic section. Not that he's apologizing for anything, but he's telling them doctrinal truth, if you will. Not only introducing himself as a legitimate uh, apostle defending his call into the ministry and his equality with the other apostles. The next two chapters, three and four, are really the doctrinal meat and potatoes of it. And he points out the purpose of the law was to be a choke chain. It was to show you that there was nothing wrong with the law. What was wrong was our ability to keep it. Like my puppy's inability to do that. I mean, if I reined her on a, on a harsh choke chain every time she was disobedient, she would have died of asphyxiation and suffocation a long time ago. But the law never stopped its demands. The purpose of the law was to show us I can't keep the law. All it's doing is killing me. What we needed was a different master. The law was a, was a master that led us to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, but we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. The Holy Spirit still works on us, but it's nothing like the law. In fact, you can't do it both ways. You can't depend upon the law to earn enough brownie points so that God is forced to let you into heaven. Only the purpose of the law was to condemn us. Jesus died on the cross to free us from that condemnation. There is now, therefore, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. So he set us free from the law, but he did more than just set us free from the law. He set us free from the weakness of this flesh. I can say no to it now, and before I got saved, I never thought of saying no to it. There was not even a battle. I just did whatever I wanted. As long as I didn't wind up in jail too often, it seemed to work. So I stuck with it a long time. But it was a brutal taskmaster, and after a while, I didn't find the meaning and contentment and purpose in life that I was longing for. We live in a purposeless generation. The kids out there today, they have no hope, no sense of purpose, no work ethic. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going or how to get there. They just they're, seem to be so clueless on so many different levels. I know they're looking for happiness, and they've turned to a hundred different places, but not found it. The answer lies in Christ Jesus. He's the right master. He's got the right tool to, to discipline us, to keep us in line. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God, God just like the Old Testament saints did, and that's why Paul used Abraham as an example of that. The last two chapters, and this is why you have to take them in order. You have to know who Paul is and what he's called to do and what God delivered him from and what he delivered him to. And then secondly, you need to know something about the law condemned us and Jesus Christ set us free. There's a foundation that needs to be laid out there. Only in the last two chapters can we call the practical section. Once we've got the foundation, now we can build on it. Now, uh, this is how I can act as a Christian. This is what is expected of me. This is the power resources that I have in the Holy Spirit and through God's Word. But you've got to understand a few things. People that just skip to the very last two chapters say, well, this is the real stuff here. This is the practical application. There's a lot of foundation that's laid before that in Scripture. Don't ignore that. In fact, didn't Jesus say if you try to build a house without putting in a firm foundation when the storms of life come, it just washes away? 
And I'll tell you why that's important, because since COVID hit back in 2019, uh, Satan has washed many people away from the body of Christ, and they've never come back. Oh, they have their excuses. Oh, I'm still reading my Bible once at home. Oh, we're having home church. X, Y, Z, the excuses are many. But we know that what God has called us to is obedience to His Word. Part of His Word, like in Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves, as some have already done. So even in the first century, there were people that were flaking out of church. Oh, I don't believe I need to go to church. Really? Then you know better than God, right? We don't want to put ourselves in that sort of position. But now we can put into practice, once we understand the gospel, once we've surrendered our heart and life to Jesus Christ, once we understand that he's filled us with his Holy Spirit, and that we have resources in here to say no to, I'm dead to the law. I'm dead. It did his job. I'm dead to the law. But alive to Christ. I'm dead to the world, Paul said, and the world is dead to me. That's where we're headed in this process called sanctification or growing up in Christ. My puppy will grow up. There is a day in, in down the road where I can expect that she will mellow out quite a bit. In the meantime, I've chosen to use the right tools on her. God knows that you and I will mature. He will, has dedicated himself to bringing us to maturity. And that's not dependent upon your age or how long you've been saved. It has to do with how you look and act as a Christian. That's what God is doing, is trying to conform your behavior to the behavior of His Son. That's a spiritual work. It's not done or accomplished by self-effort. It's done by submission on a daily basis, submission to His Word, submission to Him in prayer, submission to the work of His Holy Spirit, listening to that still, small voice that says, don't go there. Don't swing by that liquor store. No, don't go down that aisle. You keep your feet glued to the pavement when you're walking into Walmart on summer. Don't engage in those dirty jokes at work. All sorts of means that the Holy Spirit is using to bring us into alignment with the purposes of God. Let's look at chapter 5 then as we begin this practical section it's all about freedom. Don't you like the way the word sounds? Freedom. What's the opposite of that? Bondage. Bondage to the law? Well, I've been delivered from that. Totalitarian government. This is why totalitarian governments never succeed long-term in the world. People get tired of that kind of oppression. People get tired of that kind of tyranny. And the government that turns towards tyranny and away from democracy is a government that's no longer ruled by the people, but by the elite who think they know what's best for the people, so they don't even care what the people think anymore and only poll the people's thoughts so they can get elected, and then they do whatever they want, it seems like, in many cases at least. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand Firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, freedom in the original language is emphatic here. And you do that in the Greek language by putting it first. And what, what he's saying is in this whole sentence, there is nothing more important than this whole concept of freedom. Understand that. You're free from the law. 
You're free to eat meat. You're free to eat shellfish now, which you couldn't under the law. You're not free to sin, no. You're free to serve the living God, free to seek Him, freedom from the burden and the yoke of the law. Because these Judaizers were coming in there saying, well, being circumcised is fine, but, you know, and, and trusting in Christ is fine, but you've got to keep the whole law, the dietary law. You've got to go to the temple on the sacred holidays and celebrate new moons and Sabbaths and everything. You've got to keep all the law. And I'll bet these Gentile believers were scratching their heads going, you know, we couldn't keep it before. How can I keep it now? Is that really what I'm expected to do? I'm free in Christ but in bondage to the law still? Jesus has set me free but I'm still in a jail cell with the door locked? That doesn't sound like freedom to me. But these Judaizers were encouraging the people to see the law as a method of gaining God's favor. You still hear it in the world today. When you, you ask the average person out there in the average community, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And they go, I hope so. What's that hope based upon? Well, I've tried to be a good person. Well, I, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I try to do what's right. Is that, is, is that all that is required to get into heaven? Doesn't that in reality trample underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ? That's saying, sorry, I know you sacrificed your son for me, God, but quite frankly, my goodness is good enough. I don't need God. I don't need to submit to him. I'm okay. You're okay. Newsflash. Nobody's okay. Nobody's, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the law served a purpose as well to humble us. To humble us. I blew it. Blew it. I'm sorry, Lord. Have you ever bragged about yourself to, to people over time and then all of a sudden it happened to you and you, you, you looked silly with egg all over your face? Well, I never speed. I haven't had a speeding ticket in 50 years. And then you get a speeding ticket. Humbles you, doesn't it? It's supposed to. It's supposed to. We have violated every law in the Old Testament in thought, word, deed, action. We're freed from the law. The law was never given as a way of gaining favor with God. That's a work salvation. That's a burden that no one can bear. We're free to serve Christ alone. We're freed from slavery to my flesh. I'm free from slavery to the carnal desires that are common to the world. Not, we're not free to indulge the flesh. We're not free to do drugs or pornography or commit crimes of violence. We're no longer in bondage to sin. I don't have to sin, and neither do you. Why do you? Can we be honest for just half a second? You sin because you choose to. Nobody made you. Satan didn't sit on your shoulder with a gun and say, this is a 44 Magnum, can blow your head clean off. If you don't sin now, I'm going to pull in the trigger. Well, punk, you feel lucky. Nobody makes you sin. You sin by choice. As a Christian, the advice is simple. Make better choices. 
How can you consistently say no to the flesh? By being strong in the Spirit. How do you feed the Spirit inside? The Word of God, prayer, fellowship with other Christians, talking about the Lord, sharing your faith. You know these things. And the more you do those things, the more your life looks like you're a legitimate, born-again, Spirit-filled, bona fide Christian. Do the things that make you strong. We're no longer in bondage to sin, and that's what chapter 5 is all about. And I praise God in heaven for the way he choreographs our praise and worship in, in this church along with the message, because I didn't even tell pups what book I was in. Oh, you, I'm sorry, you don't know him. That's Adrian. He's the guitar player over there. Yeah, that's my son-in-law. And since he started playing guitar when he was this tall in this church, his mom asked me if he could come up here and play his little plastic guitar with the rubber bands on it and practice with the praise band. So I, I got pictures. I'm going to blackmail him with these pictures. He's cute, cute little kid. And he's up there, yeah, stringing, banging on those strings for all. And he was worth praising the Lord. And so after 20 years, I thought, okay, you can stand up here and lead the praise and worship. That's the cool thing of watching the kids grow up in this church, in the positions of significant leadership. Uh, freedom and growth in Christ. Uh, but Paul says there at the start of verse 1, you are free. Stand firm then in that freedom that Christ purchased for you with his death on the cross. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to legalism. He goes on and says in verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves like these false teachers are encouraging you to do, to get circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve the law that required uh, uh, circumcision here and walk in the freedom of Christ Jesus. You can't serve two masters. When you get to heaven and if Peter shows up at the pearly gates and say, why should I let you into my heaven? Here's what you don't want to say. Don't say, I tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I tried to be a good person. None of that washes. If you don't say, because I submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, open up the gates, Peter. By the way, you still smell like fish. Humble him a little bit. Peter needs that from time to time. Verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that you're obligated to obey the whole law. Here's the temptation. For these brand new Christians, they could be undermined in their faith by these Judaizers because it is easy for us to drift back into what was once comfortable. And all you have to do to drift is nothing. Just like a rowboat that's lost its moorings on the dock. It just floats with the tides. So slowly and so calmly it can skip people's attention. There's always that temptation for these Jews to go back to the law because that was what they were comfortable with. Oh, it sets boundaries. Ooh, yeah. And they, they, they loved it. One of the other little pooches at my house is this uh, little dog that had been, uh, it was a rescue dog, been abused uh, terribly, and his source of security is his kennel. Little white dog, <laughs> cute. He's a sheepoo, yeah, 
Anybody need a sheep? Come see me right after service. He's 400 years old. He'll probably live a day or two for you, but hey, he smells in the meantime. He needs your love. But his source of security is going back to that which he was most familiar when he was beaten and abused. He was slammed in a small cage that didn't even allow him to turn around. So we keep it open and got a big old padded thing in their bed for him and stuff like that. And every time he thinks that he is going to get in trouble or one of the other dogs get in trouble, he goes right back to that which he was most familiar with. We do the same thing. The tendency when you and I drift is to go back to what? What was your old thing? We call them the good old days, but we tend to glamorize them only when we're drifting in that direction. When, in fact, we know they weren't good old days. They were days of drunkenness and debauchery and whatever else. But what is it that you came from? What was it that you, when it's all said and done, if we're honest here, you have the tendency to drift back to, is it alcohol? Is it drugs, pornography, adultery, any number of sins? And Satan doesn't care which sin he drags you back into the sewer. Why? It's a choke chain that he's going to pull and tighten the grip on. You keep feeding the flesh, you wind up in bondage to it again. That's the same for these Judaizers. They wanted to, let's bring them back to the law because we know the law inside and outside. For some of you, you're tempted to go back to astrology or witchcraft or a thousand other deviant things that you knew kept you from embracing the Lord a long time ago. That's what's happening to these guys. They were be drifting back in that direction. <clears throat> you know, the funny part is this whole issue of circumcision was never meant to secure a person's salvation. God said it was a sign between him and the nation of Israel. It was a covenant. It was never an instrument by which you could get saved, but that's what these Judaizers had twisted it into dragging the people back into that which they were most comfortable with. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law, by works, as opposed to accepting the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Highlight verse 4, one of the scariest passages in the whole Bible. Here's why it's important. <clears throat> there are some out there today, perhaps you've heard this teaching. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter what you do or how you act. You can become a Satan-worshipping apostate. Once saved, always saved. Really? I dare you to show me that in Scripture. It doesn't ever say that. It says that we have a responsibility. Is it possible to fall away from grace? Look at verse 4. Of course it's possible or the warning wouldn't be there. Of course it's possible. There are over a half a dozen times in the New Testament that warn Christians. These Galatians, they're Christians. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I and saying, make sure... You don't make the mistake of drifting back to that which is most familiar to you. Satan is always there to tempt you when times get tough, when, when, when people are against you and circumstances are against you and you got fired. Boy, there is always that fleshly temptation to go back to what you came from. 
I got fired from work, so I'm just going to go out and get drunk. I'm going to go get loaded. I'm going to go to a bar and sleep around. I'm going to go drifting back to the way of, uh, that, we, that we came from. That's what the Jews were going, back to the law. They felt comfortable there. It was wrong. It only condemned. But there was a comfort there, a sickness really drawing them back and away from their freedom. <clears throat> Fallen from grace. I mean, of course it's obvious that, that you can. It, it's given to believers here. Fallen from grace means to have placed yourself outside the scope of divine favor, gain, trying to gain God's favor by observing the law. Instead of resting in His grace, receiving salvation as a gracious gift of God, because I repent of my sins and I embrace His Son as my Savior. You've fallen from grace by falling back into the law for your salvation. What are you trusting in for your salvation? Jesus. I mean, when you get to heaven and you're asked that question at Burley Gates, I mean, if that ever happens... Boy, Jesus is the only key to that gate. Jesus. If you don't have a personal relationship with that Jesus, you don't get in. It's just plain and simple. Well, what you don't want to do is trade the grace and love and mercy of God for some appeal to a law that condemned us. I'm trying to be a good person. For the Jews, they were falling back into the law. The temptation for Christians is to fall back into the world. Why? Because the flesh is weak. Satan knows your weakest spot. He knows what you came out of, and he knows exactly what it takes to draw you back into that realm, the realm of the flesh, the realm of the world, whatever your particular sin used to be. That's where Satan wants to put you back into bondage. And you don't have to let him do that. You are free in Christ Jesus. But continue to walk in that freedom. Build upon that freedom like a firm foundation. And you build precious stones and materials and, and architectural designs above that firm foundation in Christ Jesus. You feed the new nature. You read the Bible. You pray. You seek his face. You go to church. You share your faith. Every day you start off with him. Open up the word. If you don't have a daily quiet time, what are you relying on then for strength? A day without Jesus is a day where you are more open to temptation. One day. You'll feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. Come on, sit down, read your Bible. Ah, now the phone's ringing. I got to get to this. I got to answer that email. You don't want to fall from grace because all you have to do is close your eyes and drift. All you have to do to fall away from God is nothing. Don't read. Don't pray. Don't seek His face. Don't worship. And you too can find yourself going the way of the world, drifting right back into that which you felt you were most comfortable with before you got saved. That's what He'll draw you back to. Everybody's temptation is going to be different from everybody else's. Don't know what your weakness is. But you can rest assured, Satan knows what it is. What's the answer? Stay strong. 
Stay strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Protect your mind against the attacks of the enemy. Battles for the mind. Put on the helmet of salvation. Paul would write the Ephesian believes the breastplate of his righteousness because I got none. Hold high the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. Belt of truth. You should be a man of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said his word is the truth. Sanctify them by that, he prayed for his disciples. You got to be in the Word of God. I don't understand it. Get a simpler to read version. They got them all the way down to kindergarten. Good grief. What, got any other excuses? Find it hard to understand. Get a study Bible. Call the church office. Stop with the excuses, but keep on growing in Christ so that you don't become fodder for the enemy. He's like a hungry, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan's not playing games spiritually. You and I must not either. But I know so many Christians, yeah, I don't read, I don't pray, I don't go to church. I think I'm good. No, you're not. I think you're deceived. That's different from good. Satan has convinced you that you're good when in reality the Holy Spirit has been convicting you. No, you're not good. You know, I think a little self-analysis regularly is good for the soul. Where are you at with the Lord today? Where are you at with the Lord? You filled with His Holy Spirit, you walk in. Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Are you in His Word? Do you share your faith? Do you listen to praise and worship music in the car or at home? Or is Christianity a Sunday morning exercise that you can ignore the rest of the week? What do you do the rest of the week? If you're not investing in the Lord, you're investing in the flesh. Heading downhill, getting pulled back into that old lifestyle of temptation. It is possible to fall from grace. And verse 4 reminds us that it is a real possibility. Falling back either into the law or the world of the flesh. Jesus said this, perhaps, as I read this parable of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself, which kind of soil am I? It's the parable of the sower. I'm sure you know it well. It's Matthew 13. starts in verse 3. The farmer went out to sow his seed. The farmer is God. The seed is the gospel. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered. They had no depth. They had no root. They had, had no, no anchor. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. <laughs> the disciples are funny. So Jesus asked them, you guys understand what I'm talking about? Oh, yes, yeah, sure, sure. They were fishermen. They weren't farmers. They were clueless. They had zero idea of any spiritual application out of this. And Jesus graciously then extends an invitation to come in a little deeper in. And starting in verse 20, uh, the interpretation is given. And you'll know some people like this, but which one are you? The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places, the man who hears the word of God and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he only lasts a short time. Do you know anybody that's fallen away from the Lord? 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is like a man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, making it unfruitful. He doesn't last either, although he received with joy, just like the, just like the first or the second guy. But he, there was no perseverance. One who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word of God and understands it, and he produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Well, which kind of soil did the seed find in your heart? Are you open to God? Are you seeking Him? Are you actively seeking Him on a daily basis? Is there an active daily surrender to Him? Is there your desire to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do you just put it on autopilot and flip and flop from Sunday to Sunday? hoping to play catch-up in the one hour that the pastor has access to you during the 168 hours of the week. If you don't learn to feed yourself throughout the week, spiritually speaking, you will die of starvation. I can spoon feed you every time I have access to you. Got the rubber spoon out, we'll open the Word of God together. That's good stuff. You have to self-feed during the week. It's important because Monday's coming. You'll be tested and you'll either stand up to the challenge and fight, be able to fight the temptation by the power of God's Holy Spirit or you're more prone to giving in to it. Monday's coming. What are you doing today to prepare for it? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 6, He talked about the whole idea of branches and vines abiding in the trunk. And he said, you know, the vines that produce fruit, the vine dresser, God himself, trims those and prunes those so that they might be more fruitful. God allows things in your life and mine to prune off the unimportant things that can sometimes attach themselves to us as Christians in this life. And God says, well, that's going to have to go. That's going to have to go. And he clips and prunes and vines, and you just got to let God have his way. He knows what he's doing knows what he's doing. Trust him. Trust the process. But then he says there are some branches that don't bear any fruit at all. They're broken off. They're gathered together and they're burned in the fire. If we don't continuously continue to abide in Christ, we have signed our own death certificate. We've said, I, I don't need you or want you, Jesus. I'm going back to the world. I'm not trusting you for salvation. And there's no fruit. Now, some turn out to be prodigal sons, and they finally come to the end of their own rope and come back home. So who's a, a dead branch and who's a prodigal son? I don't know. God does. But I know this. If you're not walking close to the Lord, you could possibly wind up being a dead branch. Don't do that. Stay in the vine. Stay in Jesus. Stay strong. Stay close to Him. Let Him nourish you and feed you. Just, I mean, if you've ever seen a grafted branch, I tried this one time many years ago, uh, where you can cut a particular angle off of one kind of tree and graft in another kind of tree, a completely different fruit tree, and if, it, if you've done your homework well and matched the cut exactly and then wrapped it 
and made it stable to where it could weld itself together over time, you could, you could have a different tree bearing a different kind of fruit. That's, a, that's a, a glorious thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you and I are the engrafted branches. We were grafted into the stump of Jesse. All of the promises given that came to fulfillment in Jesus, we've been grafted into that tree. All of God's promises to Israel are now ours. We're co-heirs with Christ. We don't replace Israel, but we've been grafted in. That's cool. You want to make sure that graft is good and tight. We've been grafted in. We're not natural, but wild olive branches grafted in, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And God has done, the, the, he has done everything. You want to make sure, though, that you're drawing up nourishment from the trunk. That's Jesus Christ and doing it every single day. That's life. It's life itself. It will keep your flesh in the grave and your spirit alive and healthy. But you have to feed the spirit. That's up to you. I cannot do that for you. I cannot do that for you. I can only do that an hour on Sunday, an hour on Wednesday, and that's all I got. That's all I've got. I mean, you could live with me at my house, I suppose. Rent begins at 2000 a month. <laughs> Bring your own food. <laughs> it would be cool to be able to have 24-7 discipleship, wouldn't it? But only you can make sure that relationship between you and Jesus is really tight. I'm responsible for my walk, and I do that every day at my house. I need to make you responsible and you to own it for you to grow in Christ. It's a decision. It does require some discipline. But have you noticed the similarity between the word discipline and disciple? If you call yourself a disciple of Christ, there are some daily disciplines that deserve to be put into practice that make us better Christians and more in touch with Him. Fruit is produced naturally as I abide in Him. I don't have to grunt or groan. That fruit is produced naturally. I'm not trying to be a religious person. I'm trying to get in His presence, have His face shine upon me. Then the outward is changed. Understand it's an inward spiritual surgery that God's doing on you. You've got to yield yourself to the process. You've got to seek it. The Bible says, seek the Lord while He may be found. That's today. Because I don't want you falling into the trap that the Galatians fell into. Peter would say this about this whole idea of, of being proactive and not drifting away. He warns the church in 2 Peter 3.17, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know these things, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Calvinists say you can't fall from your gracious position. Really? Then why the warning? What? Explain it to me. I haven't heard a Calvinist yet tell me what the argument was in that. So many other warnings in the New Testament about falling away. Let's try Galatians, or excuse me, Colossians 2, starting in verse 21, where Paul writes the believers there, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Sentence doesn't stop there. What's the next word? If. That word if is a conditional statement. It, remind, it says that everything that I just said is only true 
if you do the other stuff that's listed below. If, verse 23, you continue in your faith, continuously continue in, in your faith. In the Greek, present active indicative, which means continuous and ongoing action. If you, not me, you continue in your faith, established and firm, not held, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. That word if is the most theologically loaded term in the whole New Testament. And it reminds you and I that we have a responsibility every single day. Walk in the Spirit, man. Get in the Word of God. Seek His face. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. God wants to bless your socks off. Why would you fight Him on that? So you can what? Text? Get on Instagram? Share some stupid photo? Really? You're going to take that into eternity? Newsflash. Listen carefully. There are no cell phones in heaven. Well, then how could it be heaven? That's what makes it heaven. <laughs> Second John 1 John 1.8, watch out that you do not lose what you've worked so hard for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Guard yourself against drifting. Walk in the freedom of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 2.1 warns of the, of the danger, and the exact wording there is drifting away. Watch out that you don't drift away. It can happen so quietly and passively, it can catch you off guard. All you have to do to drift away is lose the anchor. Other examples include Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10. All of these passages, every single one of them was written not to pagans, but to believers who had salvation in Christ Jesus. Of course, Christians can fall away. All of these passages encouraging Christians not to fall away because you know people that have. You know family members that have. You know co-workers that have. COVID-19 came along, we lost half of our church, and they never came back. It's not that they went to church somewhere else. They gave up on God. They're not going to church anywhere. It breaks my heart how much more it must break the heart of God. Hebrews 10.25 specifically warns, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of Christ Jesus approaching. Yet many, despite the warnings, they, they fly in the face of these scriptures. Hebrews 10, 25, go to church. And they go, nope. Jesus said, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I command? How can you do? Do you see the inconsistency in that? How can you possibly call him Lord, and, which means boss, how can you call him Lord and not do what he says? It's not possible. Verse 6 really stands out to me. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. Don't try to be a religious person keeping the law. The only thing that counts. Highlight this one, please. The only thing that counts. Do you see? That's pretty important. The only thing that counts, if you've ever wanted to reduce the whole New Testament down to one verse, this is it. Get your highlighter out. Nothing more important. 
The only thing that counts is faith, obviously in Christ Jesus, expressing itself through love. You have faith in Christ Jesus, you abide in Him, you seek His face, and your life becomes fruitful, not because of self-effort, but because of yieldedness, you abide in Him. You, he abides in you, your life bears much fruit. The only thing, the one thing that's really important to God, and faith is so much more than the intellectual assent to the facts. Yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I believe He died on the cross. Really? Has He changed your life? Have you submitted every part of your life to Him, or are there some fleshly things you hang on to? Most Christians are plagued by their past because it's a willful bondage. They go back to that which is most familiar. I wasn't a puppy dog put in a cage when I grew up. I had an abusive alcoholic father. That was a new kind of bondage all by itself. And for a long time, I saw myself as a whipped and abused puppy. And it came out in my speech all the time, failing to realize, behold, all things have passed away. Behold, Hold all things have become new. And yet I was trapped in the past because that's where Satan had led me. It wasn't until I, over time, discovered my freedom by being in God's Word, being filled with His Holy Spirit, repenting of my sins. So I don't talk about my past. What were my favorite sins of the past? You don't know. What things did I do in the past? I don't know. Paul said this one thing I do, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies in Christ Jesus. You don't know my background because that's unimportant. And yet some of you, that's all you can talk about. It doesn't bless you or anybody else. Clinging to your dysfunctionality says, I have no faith in Christ Jesus. I pretend it's all on me, so I keep whipping myself. I'm a lowly worm, and nobody's ever loved me, and I had an abused childhood, and I... Stop it. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. When do you think would be an appropriate time to let your mouth know that and start acting on it? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't want to hear about your weird and dysfunctional past. That doesn't bless me. In fact, it feels like garbage being thrown at me. I'm not blessed by that. I'm blessed by hearing what Jesus is doing in your life. Where are you at with the Lord? How'd you get saved? What's going on? What are your spiritual gifts? Isn't Jesus cool? Did you hear this latest Christian song about the Lord? Man, if iron sharpens iron, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear about your dysfunctional past. The psychiatrist and psychologist that says, world do, because you're silly enough to pay him $150 an hour. They're going to keep you tied to that milk cow as long as they can. There's no healing found there. And yet we turn to the ways of the world constantly. Like Jesus isn't enough, and it must offend him highly and break his heart to boot. Verse 7, he says, you guys were running such a good race. You guys were running such a good race. You were running towards Jesus Christ with all that was in you. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little false teaching can corrupt your whole life. 
A little convincing yourself, oh, I can get drunk this one time. It's not a big deal. I haven't been drunk in years. Really, a little dough leavens the whole batch of bread. Don't go there. You, if you give the flesh an inch, it'll take a mile. Don't give it an inch. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Paul had said all the way back in, to the first Corinthian epistle in chapter 5, beware the yeast of the Pharisees is what Jesus said, but Paul quoted this same verse 9. A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. Don't give in to an inch of false teaching or an inch to the flesh. It, it'll, it'll take a mile. Verse 10, he goes on. He said, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be, these Judaizers, these false teachers, these people that are trying to drag you back into bondage. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? I don't preach that nonsense. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators... These Judaizers, these false teachers, I wish that they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> okay. Pretty graphic language in the original, but they're har harping on circumcision. And Paul goes, yeah, I wish they'd just do it to themselves and leave you poor guys alone. My brothers, verse 13, you were called to be what? Say it out loud. Free. Free from the law. Free from the world. Free from sin. Free from the devil's temptations. You're not free to sin. You're free to serve the living, living God. My brothers, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Instead of you going out and get drunk with your homies, call up the pastor and say, why don't you let me buy you lunch? And then would you pray for me? I mean, the chances of me praying for you are greatly enhanced if you buy me lunch. Or bring me cookies, hot dogs will do in a pinch. Orange slices if you're on a budget, that's fine. But let somebody pray with you. Let somebody love on you. Don't take this journey by yourself. We need each other in the body of Christ, and yet so many of us act like we're the lone ranger. You're not that strong. God wants to make us. Dependent. I did not say codependent, but make us dependent upon one another. Even as iron sharpens iron. That's why we need each other, to build each other up and encourage each other. That's why we have this greeting time before the start of to Get to know other people. If there's anybody in the room you don't know, that's on you. Why don't you know them? Have you gone up and shaken their hand and gone, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, seen your face here before. What's your name? Get to know them. Get involved a little bit. Anything I could pray for you about? There's wonderful opportunities uh, for, for fellowship here. If we will just get out of our own comfort zone that attaches us to a dysfunctional past, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, free to serve my brothers and sister, sisters. In Romans 6, Paul asked the question, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So liberty, freedom in Christ Jesus isn't freedom to indulge the flesh. You've been delivered from that. How can we possibly go back there? Now, if you're not saved, then what Peter said may apply to you. A dog returns to its vomit. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I may have my weak moments, 
If I get hangry, <laughs> I need to get fed and repent and apologize for that. I can get in the flesh as, as well as anybody. But I find that God uses a soft choke chain on me now and gives me a little slack once in a while and only a very gentle nudge when the Holy Spirit's trying to get my attention. The flesh had me on a choke chain that was killing me. Liberty. I have liberty in Christ Jesus, but that's not license to sin. It's, and I'm free to serve God. I'm free to love my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're no longer slaves to, to our flesh, sin, and Satan when we're born again. We, we're free from the law. But, but let's make sure that the exercise of our freedom doesn't bring us back into bondage. Does that just make sense? I want to keep you free. I want to keep you happy. I want to keep you contented. I don't want to hear about your past. You are not a dysfunctional dog that's been beaten and abused and kept in your kennel. That's not who you are. may have been who you were, but that's not who you are, and that is not who you're going to be into eternity. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Maybe you forgot that. Because all I hear out of some of you is your past, where my past, where my past, where my past, where my Sounds like a broken record. I know some of you don't know what the, a record is. It was a round plastic thing that used to go around like that, had a needle on it, and every once in a while a bad record would skip a track and go, ee, click, ee, click, ee, click. I want to be, I want to hold your hand, click. I want to hold your hand, click. And you, you, you get, some of you sound like a broken record. It's all about you. It's all about your past. If you'd glorify God as much as you whine and whimper and wail and wallow in your dysfunctionality, the longer you'll stay in bondage, just like Satan wants. You're free in Christ Jesus. Free in Him. Verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, these Judaizers, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He said in verse 14, the entire law is summed up as love your neighbor as yourself. And that means it's not about you, it's about your neighbor. It's about the person sitting next to you. It's about your extended family or, or co-workers that are, it's not about you. And nobody, nobody is blessed by hearing about your dysfunctionality. Glorify God. We're free from the law, free from sin, free from death, but backsliding is still a possibility. Be careful. I'm just summing up the whole half of this chapter so far. How do we stay on our guard? Thought you'd never ask. Jude puts it this way. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up. Pay attention. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted sin and flesh. To him, oh, I love this, to him who is able to keep you from falling. That's Jesus. Jesus is able to keep you from falling, from drifting back into who you used to be. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. That's what 
that is what occupies Jude's heart. He's not talking about his dysfunctionality. He's praising Jesus. Isn't that cool? You ought to read that book of Jude sometime. It was written in, in the context of people struggling with false teachers like these Judaizers we've been reading about here. Stay close to the Lord because all you have to do to fall away is do nothing. Don't read. Don't pray. Don't fellowship. Don't share your faith. Don't worship. And you too can be Satan's next victim. But it's on you. That's between you and the Lord. You have to be proactive in this thing. Peter, let me just wrap this all up with, with what Second Peter had to say. Second Peter 3.10, he says, you know what? The day of the Lord's coming. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements themselves, that takes nuclear fission to do that, like a hydrogen bomb. The elements themselves will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? There's a question. What kind of people do you think the Lord wants us to be these last days? We've got to take this verse to, to work with us tomorrow. That's where the rubber hits the road. What kind of people ought you to be? Well, he answers that rhetorical question, if it is that. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Question mark? You mean you, 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 you can speed the Lord's coming by your being obedient to this scripture? Yep. If I ever find out that you're the one holding this gig up, you are going to be in such trouble. We can speed his coming by obeying, being obedient to this passage. If we're not obedient, then we're part of the delay. He's waiting for you and I to step in line with his will and purposes. What kind of lives ought you and I to be living? Godly lives, holy lives, as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There is no other verse in the entire Bible that says you and I can have an active role as to when Jesus comes back. Did you feel the weight of that responsibility? I did. You have something to do with how fast Jesus comes back. You want out of this sinful, fallen, tempting world? <laughs> Let's just take 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14 to heart then. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth a home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to all of this, make every effort to be found spotless. That tells you that you've got a responsibility. It doesn't happen by accident. You must pursue it. Make every effort. Does that sound strenuous? It is. Strenuous term. Some of you work out in the gym far harder than you work out in the Word. God wants you to be as buff spiritually as you are physically. I mean, tone up, man. Make 
every effort to be found what? Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Because that's the, that's the role of the church, the mission of the church. Your example is set out there for all to see. Everybody sees you at work, at home. Everybody's looking. We say that we're Christians. They want to see if it's legit. If you're one of those Christians that feels free to go out and get slathering, blindly sloppy drunk right after work, or you think that's okay once a week, once a month, once a year, or once a lifetime, you're dead wrong. And what you're doing is compromising your testimony to the world that Jesus died to save. And they'll be the first to remind you of your hypocrisy. Hey, dude, if you're a Christian, I don't want nothing to do with Christ. Because all I see is a worldly person just like me with no hope, purpose, or direction. You're no different than me. We, comp- we trample underfoot the blood of Christ. You and I have to be a shining example of holiness and righteousness and love and humility these last days. There's so much at risk. And I know that we're just a remnant. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Man, I'm in this thing all alone. No, we're not. Look around the room. There's a lot of people here that are striving to be holy and righteous in His sight and a legitimate testimony to a sinful, fallen world. The countdown's already begun. Christ is coming back soon. When's a good time to live for Him? Yeah, right now. Right now is a good time. Let's stand and close in prayer. Pups, you got a song for us? I thought you might. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves into your hands because we are fearful of ourselves drifting. I know that we live in an age of lukewarmness. Revelation 3 in the church at Laodicea reminds us of that. We don't want to be lukewarm. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. As we look upward, may you fill us again and cause your face to shine upon us in blessing. May we abide in you, Lord Jesus, and you abide in us, and our lives produce much good fruit as a result of that. I'm so tired of compromise. But remind us, according to this passage you've shared with us this morning, I don't have to sin. I am not that guy. I don't have to go back to that which was familiar but no longer is. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Help us to walk, Lord, with our heads held high, your righteousness wrapped tightly around our shoulders. Keep us free from the pollution of the world, which is all around us, Lord. You are what we need. We love you with all of our hearts, and we commit ourselves into your hands, Lord. Fill us Use this for your glory. Bless us. Crown our heads with joy. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength, Nehemiah said. Make it ours, Lord. As we offer up ourselves, surrender. We surrender right here. Right now we're fresh. And confess we love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name.